I feel like I have a word that is powerful for all of us, not just moms, as we make an emphasis on honoring moms today. And so here's a question for you. How many of you have in your past or before enjoyed riding a motorcycle? Anybody ever rode a motorcycle? I have ridden a motorcycle a time or two. I have been on the back of a motorcycle a lot of times. My, I grew up with my grandfather who was a Baltimore City police officer and a motorcycle police officer at that. And he had an amazing bike and he always rode and we would go for rides and we would go through some of these, these there's this area in the Baltimore area that was a reservoir and had windy roads and water everywhere and he would, he would always tell me, make sure you lean the same direction that I'm leaning and he would lean that thing real low and we'd get really close to the road and it was just this awesome experience and this freedom of like the open road and the wind in your face and and just this this experience and one of the other things I've realized about motorcycles and riders is that there's this 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 company with other bikers there's this journey of life together and I kind of remember that about my grandfather um he always had a lot of friends they always rode together if he was out it was usually getting breakfast somewhere with him and his wife, my grandmother, and then some other bike riders. And you could pull up and there'd be bikes everywhere and, and they'd be enjoying life together. And I remember those days and I figured out, just re in recalling some of those moments in my life, I figured out that life is li a lot like riding a motorcycle. And I believe life in this journey that God wants you to enjoy this journey. So what? He wants you to feel the freedom of the wind in your face and in your hair and feel the freedom of this ability to fly. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, for me personally, when I, I had a motorcycle for a very, 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 very brief amount of time because I was very irresponsible and made probably the mo perhaps the most responsible decision I've ever made in my life by getting rid of my bike because uh, I drove it way too fast. And there was just something about that, that, that ability to fly and be speeding down the road and experiencing that type of freedom. And I've really come to realize that that's the kind of life that the journey of Christ is on. People compare it to a roller coaster, and I would say, yeah, it's a lot like that as well. And a lot of the same characteristics fit both. The, the wind in your face and the not knowing what's at the, at the end of each turn. And, and maybe you don't like that, and I don't always like that, but there's time. I'm a roller coaster junkie. I love to get on the craziest roller coaster and just be flying down, down the track and all of a sudden the track's not there because you're going this direction. I'm just like, oh, I love it. Life doesn't give me the same exhilaration when it does that. Um, but it's still, it is still nevertheless the part of life. And so my hope today is that when we talk about this journey of life and, and how it's a lot like a motorcycle ride or even a roller coaster, to know that there's actually control in there that there's actually safety and freedom in living life that way. And so we're going to talk this morning for a few minutes about getting closer to God. We're going to talk a little bit about getting closer to God. The title of my thoughts this morning is The Journey of Life with the Spirit. Because there's an importance and a value in journeying through life with the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Moments like we just had in worship we're completely and totally orchestrated by the Holy Spirit and Him moving. Everything from, everything from, uh, from Branson and his beautiful wife, Christy, leading worship on Mother's Day. They have their own story of becoming a mother that is challenging and difficult. And them being up here leading worship together 
is a move of the Spirit itself. And Becky experiencing what she's experienced and standing up here and speaking what God has put on her heart is, is, is a move of the Spirit. And, and it's an important part of life to be able to do life in, in, the, in connection with the Holy Spirit. And so we're not going to, this isn't going to be all weird for those of you who are like, uh-oh, here he goes. Might get all Pentecostal on us. Um, we're not necessarily going in that direction, but we're not necessarily not going in that direction either. Um, but the, the goal is to, to understand how the Holy Spirit plays a role in your closeness to God. And so there's some note, there's a note sheets there for you, for you to follow and track with. And um, we'd love for you to track along with us. So this is, this message is more topical than it is what we, what I call exegetical. Usually I take a passage of scripture, break it down, but today we're actually speaking on this topic of getting close to God. And so the very first point, we're jumping right into our message and right into your notes. The very first point that I want you to get today and understand is and recognize that there is a way to approach God and that the, you have to recognize the way to approach God is with confidence. We must approach God with confidence. So as we're getting this, taking this journey of getting close to God, we have to come to him confidently. First John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, the Bible says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son, Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And verse 15, and since we know he hears us, when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Oftentimes in this relationship with God, we approach him very, very timidity, with timidity and very, oh, I don't know if I'm, I'm worthy or I deserve this, but I think I'll ask anyway. It's kind of, I mean, when I relate, I, I relate it to my own children. And I have three uniquely different children who approach me very differently. And I have one of my children who will come to me and it does not make a difference what our experiences have been like. It doesn't matter if, if she's been disciplined or she's been smart mouthing me. None of that matters in this moment. All that she knows is she wants something. Her dad has access to it. So she's asking for it as if I should just give it to her. I don't know. I have, I have a child like that. Does it make a difference? And she, that's exactly how she'll ask for something. And I, I believe that's how God wants us to approach him. Now, there's a heart behind that. It's not an, let me approach God because I'm confident and I'm entitled to something. Not with an entitlement heart, but just with a heart that is confident that I know who he is. I know who I am. And I know that I have this eternal life through the Son of God. Because that, that's what he says. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. The first thing you have to know is that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that word know literally means without any doubt, without any reservation, without anything clouding my thought process, I know that I have eternal life through Christ. That's the first thing in this passage of Scripture that you have to know. And then you are confident that he hears us because I, is, there's a process here I hope that you're picking up. Because I know that I have eternal life through him, there's a confidence that he hears me when I ask for something. Now notice, I, I, I read through this and you probably might have missed this por portion of it, but 
And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that what? That pleases him. Put that passage of scripture back up if you would for me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. Throw that back up on the screen for me. Next one. There it is. On the screen, in scripture, and we are confident that he hears us. Because I have salvation in Christ, I am confident that he hears me whenever I ask for anything that what? That pleases him. The challenge, I think, oftentimes is we ask for things that aren't necessarily pleasing to him. You know, I have to have this new house. I have to have this new car. I have to have these new clothes. I have to have this money. I have to have this specific job. I have to have, we ask for things that aren't necessarily pleasing to him. And we're challenged because we're not experiencing God. And then our thought process is he just must not be listening to me. But we are confident because we know Christ that he hears me when I ask for something that pleases him. And then look at verse 15. And since we know he hears us, so here's the thing. It's a process. I'm confident in my salvation in Christ. I know he hears me. And now since I know he hears me when I make a request, we also know that he'll give it to me. There's this, this process to knowing Christ, this process to recognizing and approaching God that it, there is a way to come to him and it's confidently. Not in your own ability or your own skills, because there's a fine line there. Very fine line. I'll share a really quick story um, that might share a little bit too much transparency of your pastor here, but heck, it's who I am and what I do, so why should I change it, right? So I was a youth pastor, and I was loving what I was doing. I was loving life. I was loving how God was moving. And, and I remember a moment, and it wasn't just, it didn't just happen in a moment. There was a process that led up to this moment. I'd kind of gotten a little bit busy in life. I've kind of gotten a little bit busy in ministry. And people think, oh, people have this, this grand illusion that, oh, once I went into ministry full-time, I'd have time to, you must have time to pray and read the Bible all the time. I mean, after all, that's what you get paid to do, right? It really doesn't work out that way. I, I had thought that same thought process. I was really awakened into that one very quickly that it doesn't work out that way. And so here I am. As I, I, I'd gotten a little busy. I'd gotten a little bit behind on some of my devotion and my reading and, and some different things. And I remember standing up on a platform, beginning to preach the gospel. And I look out and seeing hundreds, yes, with an S, hundreds of kids worshiping God. And I had this moment that said, I did this because we started with six and there were hundreds. I was like, yes, I did this. And it didn't last, but like, I don't even know if I got the word this out of my, out of my mouth before all of a sudden I felt the conviction of God. Like, whoa, I didn't do this. He did this. He just happened to use me. And so I don't think less of myself, although you may hear things like if God, will, if God said I'll use a rock to cry out. And God also said he would, I'll give you the G-rated version, a donkey to speak. And I figured if he's going to use a rock or a donkey, I got to be somewhere in between the two. That's how I kind of keep myself grounded because I have this tendency, and maybe I'm the only one willing to be honest, but I have this tendency, Scott, to believe that I'm a little bit better than I actually am. And so... That's why oftentimes you come out, if you say, oh, that was a really good message, I'm like, wow, I thank you. I appreciate that encouragement because, you know, God has a habit of making me look a lot better than I am. 
And that started out as just words that I would say to keep myself humble, but the reality is I actually believe it today. And so there's this fine line when we approach God, not with our own skills and our own desires and and our own entitlement, but with this confidence in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says it like this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So yes, in your need, yes, in your struggle, when the winds have bent that tree almost parallel to the ground, you still are challenged by the writer of Hebrews to come boldly to the throne of God. Why? Because there's this confidence that we have in our salvation in Christ. It's again, not a confidence in me. It's not a confidence in my ability, but it's a confidence in my salvation in Christ. And because I'm saved, because I serve Jesus, then I have this ability to come confidently and boldly to his throne. That's something that I think is missing from our faith and our walk with Christ in this journey of life. The second thing I want you to get out of this message this morning is, so we're recognizing that there is a way to approach God, and that way is with confidence, that we have to recognize that Jesus is the one that positions us with God. Jesus is the one that positions us with God, and not just with God, but also in life. See, we oftentimes try to position ourselves in life. We look around, who can I connect myself to? that's going to benefit me the most. It's, it's a business principle. It's always, how is this going to benefit me? Let me just figure out, how is this going to benefit me? I'm going to get into this relationship because there's something I'm going to benefit from this. I'm going to position myself for a benefit. But we have to recognize that Jesus is the one that positions us with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, the Bible says, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, here we go, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Look at that positioning. Look at where God has placed you. Because he loves you. Because he's rich in mercy. and And even though you were dead in your sins... The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So when I sin, I am dead in my sin. And while I was dead in my sin, he gave me life. He raised me from the grave with Christ. For he, and, and then he placed me and seated me in heavenly realms because I was now united with Christ. See, life and, and getting closer to God is also a lot about understanding my position. Not my position as a pastor of this church, not my position in the corporate body of Christ, the church, but my position with God. I am positioned no higher than anyone else in this room, yet no lower than anyone else in this room. I am seated in heavenly realms because of what Christ did for me. So I acknowledge that first, right? I understand that it was, it was, There's a way to approach God with confidence because of what Christ has done. And now because of my understanding of what Christ has done, I understand how I am, where I am positioned. Now I can begin to believe the things that God has said about me. That yeah, I am the head and I'm not the tail. That I am more than a conqueror. That I am the apple of God's eye. That I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That I have purpose. That I was created with purpose and on purpose. 
But we struggle to believe that if we don't understand our positioning in the kingdom of God. You were placed in heavenly, seated in heavenly realms, but not because, see, this is where the challenge becomes. Remember, I go back to that fine line between pride and, and humility. And so we're placed in these, when I think about, man, I am placed in heavenly realms, like God has graced me and loved me in such a way that I'm placed in heavenly realms with him. Ooh, I become that get chest gets puffed out, shoulders get back, head gets lifted and say, uh-huh, I am 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Come at me, bro. That's the, that's the mentality that I take. And then when I begin to take that mentality, all I'm doing is opening myself up for an attack that I can't necessarily handle. For an attack that comes my way that will cripple me because I am forgetting why I'm positioned where I'm positioned. And so it's important to understand and recognize that Jesus is the one that positions us with God. You want to walk through this life, and walk with the Spirit and become close to God. You have to know and recognize that I approach God with confidence and boldly. But I also know that Jesus is the one who's positioned me in that place. Look at Galatians chapter 4 verse 7. This, is all, this, this verse is all about positioning. He says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. It's positioning. Jesus has now positioned you. You are no longer a slave to the sin of this world, but you are now a child of God. And because you are a child of God, you now have access to everything he owns. It's the same thing. This is why, this is why adoption is so critically important to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just adopting children, which as absolutely is. We have been adopted into the family of God. If you go back and look historically, the Jews were God's chosen people. And, and, and apart from their sin, God then grafted in the Gentiles into the family of God. And because of this grafting, we are now, as Gentiles, heirs to the promises of God, just the same as the children of Israel were. And it's just like, that's why, the, that's why adoption in the world today is so much like an image of what God has done for us. You have brought in a child whom you did not bear, whom is not your blood, who is not of your flesh, and have adopted them and then given them your name. That means they are heirs to everything that you have. They have become your children. They're not just adopted any longer. They're, they are your child. See, that's how it is with our faith and our walk with Christ. As we get closer, we understand that he has brought us into his family. And because we are children of God, we are now his heirs. Meaning we inherit everything that he has to offer us. Man, there is so much power in that. We walk around defeated in life. The church is always up in arms about what society is saying, whether society wants to redefine a marriage or society wants to redefine gender or society wants to redefine all these things. They want to say that you have to be this or you have to be that. We shriek back and then all we want to do is complain. And all we want to do is gripe about the sin and about how it's rampant and how our, how our world is a mess. Let me tell you something. For all of those doomsdayers in the place, the world is not any worse than it was thousands of years ago when Jesus died on the cross. Media has just put it in your face a lot more. That's really the only difference. Sin is sin. It's been sin since day one. It's only, if there's more sin, it's because there's more people. That's the only difference. 
It's not any worse. It's not any more messed up. It's not any, it's, this world isn't any more than that. It's, this is the same world that it was when Jesus walked the earth. We've just come a long way technologically. Now everything is in our face in a second. So it looks like it's worse than it actually is, but the reality is it isn't. And we have come to this place where we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten the power that lies within us because we are heirs of God. We are children of God and his heir. If we are not properly positioned with God, then we'll never be able to ride out this life in the spirit. Experience this freedom that he has with us and for us through the spirit of God. We'll never be able to discern God's good and pleasing and perfect will. These are all parts of being connected to God through the Spirit of God. We will never be able to truly hear the voice of God. And I'm not always, I'm not talking about the audible voice of God. To be honest with you, if I heard the audible voice of God, I don't know what would happen to me. I'd probably lose my mind or something. But I know God speaks to my heart. I know God sends other people around me in the times that I need to experience Him and know something. And that's how I know He's speaking. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is where are you positioned? What is your position in the, in the kingdom of God? Are you positioned in such a way where you are an heir of God? You are a child of God? You are seated in heavenly realms and that's how you are responding? Or are you, is your positioning out of lack? Is it out of insecurity? Is it out of the challenges and struggles that you face day to day? Do you know? Let me just tell you a couple of things the Bible says about you and your relation to Christ. Did you know that you are the object of his love? Let me say, do you know you are the object of God's love? Meaning that he has love and it's reserved for you. He created everything. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created the bugs. He created the, yes, he created mosquitoes and gnats the same. I don't know why. They just bite me and get on my nerves. But he created them, he created the vegetation, he created the animals, he created the birds, he created all these things. But when he created you and he created me, he said, it's good. He created you so that his love would have a place to reside. You are the object of God's love. You are the object of his grace. All these amazing and powerful things that we say about God in relation to us, it's because we are the object of those things. We are the object of his love according to Ephesians chapter 2, 4. We are the object of his grace according to Romans chapter 5, verse 2. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, you are the object of his power. He desires to place his power in you, not in the horse, not in the gnat, not in the trees, not in the flowers. They're just there. They existed and they grow and they die and they grow and they die, but he has a desire to put his power in you. You are the object of his faithfulness in Hebrews 13, 5. And he is a faithful God and he is faithful to you. You are the object of that faithfulness. You are the object of his peace according to Philippians 4, 9. And it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. In the midst of your own private hell, he is peace. In the midst of the greatest struggle of your life, he is peace and you are the object of his peace. You are the object of his encouragement according to 1 Thessalonians 2.16. He has desires to encourage you and build you up. You are the object. He's not trying to encourage the snake on the ground. He's encouraging you and you are the object of his intercession in Hebrews 7.25. He is praying for you. The Bible says that 
Jesus ascended into heaven and then he's what? Seated at the right hand of the Father. He is seated at his right hand. Here is God the Father. Here is God the Son, Jesus Christ. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He's praying for you. Wow. Do we not comprehend that the Son of God, the one who died on a cross that was raised from the grave, is actually praying for you? Let me tell you, it's cool for you to come to me and say, hey, Pastor, can you pray for me? That's really cool, but man, you got Jesus praying for you. I know Jesus. My prayers don't have any kind of impact like his, but he's the one making intercession for you. These are the things that when we realize that he's the one who's positioned us and we realize how and where we are positioned in the kingdom of God, these are the things that we come to understand. Now I know, you know what? Here's what I know about life. I've only been living it for 43 years, but I figured a few things out. I'm going to have trouble every day of my life. I'm going to struggle every day of my life. I am going to make the decision every day of my life to serve Christ. Because that's my part is to make the decision. It's his part to be all these things that I just said. It's his part to love. His part to have grace. His part to give power. His part to be faithful. His part to bring peace. His part to encourage. And his part to pray for me. I just have to make the decision. That yes, in the midst of my struggle, I'm going to serve him. In the midst of my struggle, I'm going to worship him. In the midst of what I'm going through, I am going to stay connected to him. Remember I told you that brief story about, as a youth pastor, how I gazed upon that crowd and thought I was the one who did it. The problem with that was I, I, I had severed and broken that, that intimate connection that I had with him. Yes, while preaching the gospel. So, so let, me, let, me, let me dispel a, a rumor or a, a mystery that some folks think they have about pastors. Because pastors can preach or because they do preach or sometimes they even preach well and sometimes they even preach sound doctrine. We think somehow that person's life has to be better than ours. Somehow they have got to be connected and so much closer to God than I am. And the reality is oftentimes that's not necessarily true. The pastor, is, the pastor, the preacher is gifted to do that. This is my gifting to preach the gospel. I'm fully capable of doing it without the presence of God. Whew. Yeah, I said that. This is my gifting. The gifts are subject to me. And so because I'm gifted to do this, I can do this. However, it has no impact, no earthly impact, no kingdom impact, no eternal impact if it's done in my own ability and not through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's the difference. So when I sever the connection from God, whether it be for a day or for a week or for a month or for a year, all these other things, I forget where my positioning is. I forget the things that he's supposed to do and that I'm supposed to do. And I have to go back to making the decision every day. I make this decision to serve God. I make this decision to trust him. The third thing and the last thing I want to share with you in this morning in this message is as we recognize there's a way to approach God with confidence and we recognize that Jesus is the one who's positioning us it's only then that you can recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you you know there's several different biblical references of God speaking and there are some where his reference to speak in this authoritatively loud, thunderous 
kind of speech. And then there's more often seen where he speaks to us in this still and this quiet moment. And I would be, my personal opinion, and again, this is my opinion. This is not theological or doctrinal, although I can back it up a lot of places in Scripture. My personal thought is he speaks more in the quiet than he does in the loud. And I think that's simply because his people today have no idea how to be quiet. No idea. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. And when I say we don't know how to be quiet, we think that quiet is, is indicative of lack of noise. But quiet is simply lack of focusing on something other than him. And we think that we're truly focused on him every time we put worship music on and we're worshiping. That's really not necessarily true because we become focused on the lyrics that we're singing or the beat that we're hearing. Or, and these aren't necessarily bad things. But I believe that if, if, if you really, really want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak, it's, it's in that quiet moment. It's not in this moment. Although I may not be speaking, my brain is anywhere. But even if I'm reading, oh, that's a good quote. Let me, let me share that. Let me retweet that. That's good. Oh, that's good, God. That's good. We think that that's quiet. We think that we're hearing from God. And you can in moments. Absolutely. There's something someone shares on Facebook that absolutely hits your heart and it's good. But there's something to be said for the time that I'm with God when I'm focusing just on God and it's quiet that he speaks to me. And that's part of a challenge of my life is actually being quiet. Not just in the, way, not just in the fact that I talk a lot because that's, that's absolutely the case. Find me a preacher that doesn't talk a lot. That's what we do. But I also get distracted by this. Or I get distracted by the 50-inch box that sits on my wall. Or I get distracted by something else that isn't around me. Maybe it's my job or whatever. But we have to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit if you want to be close. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, the Bible says, And I will ask the Father. This is Jesus speaking to his people, to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you let me tell you there's a couple of things I love about this passage of scripture the first thing I love about this passage of scripture is that it simply says he leads us into truth the Holy Spirit is the leader of truth he's leading us into truth then he goes on to say that the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. We will struggle to receive the Holy Spirit because we're not looking for him. And even then when we are looking for him, we struggle because we cannot recognize him. And that all starts with this intimacy and this connection with God. And then I love the other part. The other part is more of my theological love. You know, I, I believe a powerful truth in Scripture, not necessarily a heaven and hell truth, but a powerful truth in Scripture is that we serve this God who exists 
triunely in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because this passage of scripture does recognize that. He says, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples because he is the spirit of God. He was living with them on earth, walking with them. And when he would leave, then he would send the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why it's interesting theologically. The Holy Spirit could not reside in a place where Jesus was already residing. He had to go so the Holy Spirit could come. And so that's what he did. One significant way to recognize, I'm going to give you two significant ways to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is kind of the practicality of this whole thing. And I'm just about finished, worship team, so you can come and just, uh, just give me a minute and you guys can come. But one of the significant ways, and I'm not going to harp on this because you heard this last week. And if you missed last week's message, do me a favor. Go to rfcpeoria.com. Click on the link, the listen link, and listen to my brother Nate Terry preach. Because man, did he preach the word on Sunday. And this is, this is the, one of the most significant ways to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit is to know God's word. To know his word. John 14, verse 26, same passage, same t- chapter, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Same thing he's referencing as the Holy Spirit. He says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. See, Jesus is the Word incarnate. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus, and he said the Word became flesh. So Jesus is the manifestation of God's Word on earth. And so he's telling him, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to teach you everything. Oh, and he's going to remind you of everything I have told you. Because as Jesus was teaching his disciples, he's basically preaching the Word. You can go back and look through things when Jesus was tempted of the devil. He said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. And we think, oh wow, those are powerful words of Jesus. No, they weren't. They were powerful words of Moses. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy when he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was the word quoting the word because he knew it. And because he knew it, he knew the voice of his father. So when you know God's word, you know his voice. There's something powerful in that. When you know God's word, you know his voice. Worship team, you can come and get set. So a very significant way to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit is to know God's word. Here's what's cool about knowing God's word. Everything that I just shared with you before when I talked about you being the object of his love, his grace, power, faithfulness, peace, encouragement, intercession. I know that because it's written. In the word. That's why I gave you the chapter and verse afterwards. So the Holy Spirit, the advocate, is his representative. And he is going to teach you everything. And remind you of everything that Jesus has told you. And then the second, a, a second significant, not the only other significant. But the second one, the only other one we will focus on for this morning. Is to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, a significant way to be able to recognize his voice is to be in continual prayer. Continually seeking him in prayer. That's why I love hearing Becky speak about she went to prayer. If I had to, in my flesh, think about that, I'd be like, nah, there's no way she's going. I know Becky. I know this girl well. 
She worked with me as a youth pastor. She was my intern for a couple of years. She's been with us here at Relevant Faith since they moved to Peoria. I know this girl well. And in, 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 in the post that she made about Mother's Day on Facebook, I know there's no way this chick's going to prayer. Not happening. But God did something that drew her to going and praying and seeking the Lord. And then God did something in prayer that changed her situation. There's power in prayer. There's power in being continually in prayer. That's why you hear my wife. My wife is an advocate for it tremendously. Not that I am. I'm not. But she is. She's always posting about being at prayer. Being at prayer. Being at prayer. Let me tell you why. Because she's been in situations in her life that she would not have made it through without prayer. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. There are moments in our lives when we pray, when we're trying to seek the presence of God, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray. We don't know how to speak. Sometimes all that comes out is a, oh. Maybe you just not struggled with God the way I have in life, where sometimes it's just, oh. I don't know what else to say, but ah, oh, come on. For real, God, come on. Sometimes that's all I, that's, sometimes I've said that. Maybe that's too transparent for y'all. Maybe you don't like the fact that your pastor doesn't like that sometimes. But there have been times that I've just gotten in the presence of God, and I'm just like, oh. seriously. But the Holy Spirit helps us in that weakness. And when we don't know what God wants us to pray for, he speaks it through us. But the only way that happens is if I am being obedient to Scripture and I'm praying without ceasing. No, I don't walk around with my head in the clouds and my hands lifted high and all I do is pray in the name of Jesus everywhere I go because although I do work at Chick-fil-A, that would still be weird. Seriously, you, you sit in the office at OSF and you're like, in the name of Jesus, and you're just praying while you're writing. I don't know. I'd be writing what I'm praying. I don't know. That's how my brain works. And that would not be effective work. But the idea of praying without ceasing just simply means there's this, there's this something in me. There's this unction in me that just wants to stay connected to God so that I'm, I'm, I've got this attitude of prayer, an attitude of worship. Can't have an attitude of prayer and an attitude of worship when you have an attitude against your brother or your sister. Whew. That's another message. Let me move on. There's this desire of God in this journey of life to ride the roller coaster of life, to do 100 miles an hour on a motorcycle with the wind in your face. There's this experience that he wants you to have with his Holy Spirit where, see, I know what I know about me in Christ for no other reason except that the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me through His Word and through prayer. I have been like you. I've been on my knees doubting my own abilities, my own strengths, and my own insecurities. And it's that Holy Spirit in that time of prayer that's saying, no, you are the object of my love. 
You are the object of my grace. You are the object of my power. You are the object of my peace. But if you really want to grow close to God and you really want to experience Him in this journey called life, recognize that you approach the throne with boldness and confidence in who you are in Christ and what He has done for you.